Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. This is a scripture study podcast. If you're listening on the podcast, you just heard that intro. But if you're watching (laughs) on YouTube, we're in both places. You might want to know that. We just moved through the scriptures this year, the New Testament. And uh, last year was the Old Testament. Next year is the Book of Mormon. Two years from now. Just kidding. You can just... (laughs) (laughs) What's happening? Get up all the schedules. Uh, If you're new with us, um, we're going to take 30 seconds right now to run down a couple things that we're just going to mention off the cuff that you'll just be like, wait, 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 I want to know more about that. If you're looking for any of the study tools that we have, um, those are found at Deseret Book. If you're looking for the magnets to hang up the poster, you can go to our website and you'll find the link Don'tmissthisstudy.com. Yeah, that's our website. You just go there for everything if you wanted. Um, if you're looking for our teaching tips, you can sign up for our newsletter comes free every week. Um, that's also at don'tmissthisstudy.com. And some of the extra, we have an app also that brings everything together in a convenient place, plus some bonus study materials, including daily devotionals. You can find about that at don'tmissthisstudy.com too. So, if you're super new, there's everything <laughs> that you need to know. Ask us any questions that and you have. And you can have. follow us on Instagram if you want to at Don't Miss the Study and DM us there. If you have questions or you are wondering things, we'll get back to you there. Yeah. Otherwise, let's jump into today's lesson. Okay. Okay, y'all. We are calling today Encountering Jesus, um, which... Sounds a little bit alien-like for a second. I just realized when you say like encounters or something, but don't think that. And I just put it in your mind. But there is something that happens when Jesus comes into people's lives where you sort of discover, wait, if someone that holy, if someone that good, if someone that big enters into your life, you're going to notice, it's going to cause a reaction. It's going to cause a, a... a change, right? If an elephant walked into your living room, it would rearrange the furniture. And if someone that uh, beautiful, wonderful, amazing walks into your life, it's going to cause some sort of response. And so even though you have taken down Christmas and you don't (laughs) want to talk about Christmas, it's not our fault. The New Testament is where you find the Christmas story. And so that's what we are looking at this week is those Christmas lessons. And one of the things that we love so much and kind of what we want to be thinking about is what we are calling December 26th, lest we confuse you. Um, let's just say this. Uh, you know how you do all of Christmas. You set up all the decorations. Like for months, we are preparing for it. Either you're thinking of your Christmas list, then you decorate if you're me on November 1st or at Thanksgiving if you're David, and you're listening to Christmas music and all of this anticipation, and then December 25th happens, and then December 26th happens, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like, life goes on from that moment. And one of the things that I love the most about Christmas that has kind of changed my outlook on December 26th is a poem written by a man named Howard Thurman. And it's one of my favorite poems. He says this, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes go home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. 
And then he talks about what the work of Christmas actually is. And he says it's to find the lost and it's to heal the broken and it's to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among others and to make music in the heart. And I love that idea of like the work of Christmas began December 26th or we don't know exactly what day Jesus was born, so you might say April 7th, but that would have been really confusing if we had written that up there <laughs> um, because we all know what December 26th feels like. And I love that like the angels did go back up in the sky. The shepherds really did return to the their flocks. flocks. Yeah. Um, like people, like Christmas did end on that day, and yet the work of Christmas had just barely begun. And we mm -hmm. talk about, sometimes we talk about how do we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ? Or how do we enter into a personal experience with Jesus Christ? But today we want to look at it a little bit differently. We want to know how people were different the day after Christmas. We want to know like what changed in them and, and what their response was after an encounter with Christ. So we're going into the December 26th version of Luke 2. Instead of the on the way to Jesus story, we want to be thinking about what happened the day after Christmas happened. Okay, in the journal every single week there is this worksheet. We're calling it a worksheet. And it's sort of like if we were to take one lesson that we think is really good for a classroom or family scripture study, this is the one that we would do. And you can actually write on it and use it to kind of, we're both tactile, learners, yes. hands-on, tactile, was so <laughs> fancy, you guys that keep really um, hands-on learners. So it's just something that you can write in. And this is the worksheet for um, that week. And it is called This Encounters with Jesus. And it's everybody who was in that Christmas story. And this is the way they responded once Jesus came into their life. It was the, it was the reaction to him coming in. We love the idea as you sit with the group of people who you study with or who you're teaching with to maybe let each person take one of these people to read Mary's part, to read where Joseph shows up, to read about the shepherds and just talk about how did they respond to that personal experience with Jesus Christ, to that encounter with Jesus? What was their response? What was the lesson that they learned and, and how did it change maybe who they were? and yeah. how they lived from that time forth. And so we're gonna start, we won't go in order. Um, we're gonna start with Mary, and we'll um, end with Mary at the very end of our whole entire lesson too. But I love that this is gonna become the bookend because as all of that night happened, as Christmas night plays out, um, there's one person who just sits back and watches. And we know that because of Luke 2, 19. Um, after it is all laid out about the angels and the shepherds and everything that was going on in uh, Luke 2, 19, it says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I love the thought about as soon as Jesus was introduced into Mary's life, her response was to ponder. Um, just that entire experience. And we're going to watch that come back again in the same chapter. But I love the thought of that, that sometimes encounters with the Lord are going to cause us to ponder and to reflect and to just sit back and to maybe keep things close. And I love that's the lesson we learned from her. Yeah, and it's neat that there's a sense of like uh, 
majesty and holiness to it when it causes that response. You know, where there's just like, and mystery a little bit where she's like, I don't know where this is going. Yes. But I do know this is good. Yes. And I do know I'm playing a role in this somehow. And that's really cool to that. I think Jesus causes anticipation. When he comes into your story, you can expect like, hold on. Yes. Something there's always something more is is on the way. Okay, the next person we're going to talk about is Joseph. Now he's sort of like a background character a little bit, and we're going to talk about more about him in another segment. But the verse that we're going to look at is this verse four, and just kind of one word, and it says, "And Joseph also went up um, from Galilee." And it's just neat that that word is an action word. That he also went up. We'll talk about this later too. That he all like. He had a chance to not be a part of the story at all. And yet God calls him into the story and he takes action. And so a part of what you have to do is use your imagination of what it was like when he got to the stable and what it was like when everybody left and, and well, what, and and what happened. In verse seven, when it's like, and she brought forth, forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And like, I see Joseph written everywhere yeah, in that right. verse. You know? Yeah, so you kind of have to just like imagine, and which is awesome scripture study skill, by the way, is the scriptures don't fill in a lot of details of what's going on. They don't fill in a lot of emotions. And so it's awesome study skill to try and fill in the blanks there, yeah. to take black and white and, and make it and into to, something and see, color. Yeah, yeah, and see what is happening. What, what was Joseph doing in all of those background spaces. And it's interesting that the second the angel comes to him and and brings Jesus into his story, like you see that Joseph served. Like that was his response to Jesus showing up. As he was just like, wow, he just immediately starts to turn outward. You have to tell about the angels because they're your very favorite. Oh yeah. Are they next? Yeah. The angels? Okay. Um, so then there, there's angels. And I do love these angels so much, mostly because I'm an over the top Christmas person. <laughs> you know, like I just, I cannot be helped. Like I just, you know, I can't but, do. But let's say this about you too. You are an over the top, bring good news type of person. That is such your personality. Yeah, I it like even front have row. To just be on I like, Christmas. yeah, <laughs> but it comes out on Christmas especially <laughs> strong, right? But I just love that the angels are the ones who come in verse ten with good tidings of great joy. I, I just love that it's like we're not just going to bring news, and we're not just going to bring good news, but we're going to bring good news of great joy for all people. Like every, <laughs> like everybody gets to be included. I have good news for you, and I got good news for you, and I got good news for you. Mm-hmm. Right? You thought Oprah was the good news lady, and she's not. Well, she might be. She's an angel. Um, but there's this idea of them coming and rejoicing, and they just can't help it. Right? One angel comes, and then the second that one angel says. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Then everybody comes. And everybody bursts through the veil. I like when Elder Holland says, uninvited but not unwelcome. <laughs> and they just sing and they fill the whole heavens with song and good yeah. news. And I just love that. In my mind, for some reason, I just see heaven just split open for a second. Yeah. Which I love because I feel like we always are talking about the veil and the veil and... You know, and we're separated from heaven because of the veil. And like for one second, it just feels like it was like ripped open. Yeah. You know, you just were like heaven and earth are like meeting right now for just one second. Yeah. And it's so awesome. And for sure, 
to, this is a response to Jesus coming into the story, right? And it's a way someone could recognize, like, has Jesus come into my story? It's like, well, if you are inclined to champion other people, if you're inclined to rejoice, to sing, to shout, to dance, that is evidence that you've had an, an authentic encounter with Jesus. Oh, that's so good. Um, and my favorite come right after and in that same moment, and it's these shepherds who are just in the middle of this field when all of a sudden the sky breaks open and they're like, surprise! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Listen, what's happening down the street? And one of the things we love most about the shepherds is right after that moment happens, which had to be like, quite shocking, you know, unexpected, like their hearts are probably pounding so hard. And I love that their first response isn't like to sit around and be like, what just happened? Their first response, it tells us is the shepherd said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing, which has come to pass, which the Lord made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And I just love the thought that what their first prompting was run, mm. like be a part of this, go to where everything is happening and um, be a part of this kingdom being built up around you. And I, I love that the, I love the thought that the spirit might say to each of us, run, like go be involved in the work that's taking place and, and have those moments together. And that there was not hesitation. Like I think to myself, I just want the heart of a shepherd. Mm -hmm. I, I want to, when I have an opportunity to engage with the Lord, I just, I want to run into that opportunity. I love that you just said, cause I was thinking the same thought that he takes away hesitation because like, who's invited into the hospital room after a baby's yes. born? You know, like you yeah. would walk up to the door and like, Hey, you know, and especially if you're a stranger, they're strangers, right? But I just think it's really cool that like not, they were invited in and, and there was no hesitation, yeah. you know, to be a part of yes. it. Yes. Like, know? should like, we go? Yeah. Like, like, should we wait a couple days? Yeah. I don't think my kind of person is not fit for this situation, you know, yeah. but God takes that away. He yeah. wipes that right off yeah. the board. And we love that. We love that just running mentality. I love it so much. Okay, we're jumping over to Matthew 2 for a second for the wise men. Mm. And usually we talk about one part of their story, which is really cool that they journey so far. And you love considering to yourself like, well, how far and what am I willing to go to kneel at the feet of Jesus, which is such an awesome principle. But we actually and like- the star, we love the star. Oh, the star is so cool. Just being led and being guided and, and, and the long journey yeah. that they are on. And- um, and how different they are from the shepherds and how it just shows that everybody is invited, no matter how long your journey takes or what it might look like. Yeah, and they really are so different because the shepherds are like these humble, um, their their work is with their hands, they're like that. The wise men are like scholars. They've been like figuring things out scientifically. And I love that God's like, yeah, let's have both. Right, right. And, the, and just how... It just is, it, 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 from the very, very beginning, it shows what the kingdom of God looks like. Yes. And it looks like a collage. Yes. And it looks like a kaleidoscope yeah. thing, you know? Yes. It's just like, oh, this is kind of fun. This looks like yeah, a kaleidoscope. I just thought, you know, it's just like, listen, everybody yeah. of every personality and every background and, and every intention. And the thing that you love about it even more, being a kaleidoscope, let's just think about that for a minute, is we get to see it from everybody's square. 
Right. You know, you saw the story from like, what does this look like if I'm a wise man? What does this look like if I'm married? What does it look like if I'm a shepherd? And it's incomplete unless you have all of them. No yes. one would like a nativity if like only the wise men were there. Yes. You'd be like, wait, people are missing. Yeah. You know, it's not the full story. Yeah. Like people, I love it because we get people's different perspectives, but we also learn that people respond differently to Jesus coming into yes. their life. Yep. And not one of them's right or wrong. Now I'll say the part we love. Okay, now, <laughs> for all that. <laughs> no, I feel like I'm a liar when I'm like, the part we really, really love because we just said so many cool things is when they get to the manger and they bring their gifts and they bow down and, oh, that scene that the church did, yes. uh, that video of that wise man. Oh. And, you're just, and who ah. loves when the church has like 20 wise men and you're like, I know. oh. Oh, yeah, yes. plural. Um, and they bring their gifts. It says this in verse 12, Matthew 2, 12. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And I, we both love this idea of they journey another way. Once they met Jesus, once they knelt at his feet, a change happened in their life. And they went a different way. Like something was different in the way that they acted or the way that they thought or the way that they approached situations. Like... Jesus causes us, um, his presence causes us to journey another way, to live differently. And then there's two more people who we love, and we just wish they were in a nativity set somewhere. You just so bad want (laughs) Simeon and Anna in a nativity set. Um, So their stories are really similar, and it's fun to kind of tell them on top of each other. So you do Simeon, I'll do Anna at the same time. It's so fun. What was um, the same about both of them? So Simeon's story starts in... Uh, uh, 25. Okay. So Mary and Joseph go to the temple, which is a custom. We'll talk about this custom in just a second in the next segment to offer a sacrifice for their firstborn son. That was a tradition um, among the ancient Jews. And it says in 25, we're back in Luke 2, okay? Luke 2 and Matthew 2, these are our, these are our Christmas chapters. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of... Israel. And and that is so sweet to consider this person waiting, right, for consolation. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And which is so cool because he's old. He's this old man, and but yet he had this promise earlier in his life to, that he held on to for his whole life. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, he took up in his arms. Wait, and... don't say this part. Okay. Say this part. <laughs> okay, it's my well. favorite. So that we love about Simeon. He's led by the Spirit. And where does he go? To the temple on that morning. And he's holding on to that promise. And Anna, who is, it tells us in verse 36, a prophetess. Uh, was of great age. So she lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, but then she had been a widow for four score and, where is my verse? Four score and four years, which is that 84 years? Four score, 24, yeah. Mm -hmm. 84 years she had been a widow and she departed not from the temple, but she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And um, so she also is in the temple and who loves that she actually like lives in the temple is what it feels like. Like she, it is so much a part of her life that that is where she spends her time. And so for both of them, even though we wrote it here, they're people who are led by the spirit and who have a great respect for the temple and for being in the temple. And I love that their response 
is identical. In that moment, in that when Joseph and Mary walk in and they are both going to meet the baby and they have this identical response. Simeon says, um, in 28, he took up him in his arms and blessed God. And uh, immediately, that's what his, it was a praise. It was a thanksgiving, like the second that he held him in his arms. And it tells us, um, Anna in verse 38, she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord. And I just love that both of them, like it was that immediate gratitude that they had had that encounter with the Lord. And as we think about all of these people, and if you're teaching a class, it might be really fun to just say, which one inspires you the most? Which response do you feel the most drawn to? And if if you were gonna talk about December 26th, if you were gonna talk about what Christmas looks like starting from whenever you teach this lesson, which one of these do you wanna take into 2023? with you and and what will your response to an encounter with Jesus look like this year? We just love the idea of maybe what that would look like. And like you said right at the very beginning, I'm so drawn to this idea that usually, what's interesting is their response is usually what we give as advice to people, right? So if you want to like have personal experiences with Jesus, ponder and serve and rejoice and run and, and change things in your life, but it's super powerful us as we look at this, that these are, they came after Jesus came into their story. And I love thinking about that kind yes, of reverse way of, yeah. way of thinking yeah. about it. It's so good. Um, we're going to go back to Luke 2 verse 7. And it's for this next segment. And it says, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And this week, our word that we chose that we want to think about is this word firstborn. Um, it means um, exactly what it, what it says, that it, it would be the very first one born in a family or the first begotten in a family. You could switch out that word if you wanted to, which we do in the church. We talk about the only begotten or the firstborn. Um, are common phrases for us, but we loved studying what does firstborn even mean? And as we think about this word this week, what do we want to learn from it? And you'll want to grab your Jesus poster. Yeah, and in the Jesus poster, again, and this, if you've never seen this before, is a, a free download that you can do and print out. And we're adding a name of Jesus each week onto this line art drawing that is here. And so at the end of the entire year, we will see all of the names that he wears, all of the titles and all of the attributes that, not all of them, but 52 of them. <laughs> the ones <laughs> that, we'll be studying. Yeah, that he year. wears. And firstborn will go right here, right at the bottom left of, of his robe. And you will just add that word into it right there. And it's really cool that we are coming off of the Old Testament right now, because really that's where we learn the significance of what it means to be firstborn. It was a custom that began in um, under the law of the Lord in those ancient times and is carried into the New Testament. And it's a custom, an idea that they're carrying with them, yeah. Mary and Joseph. As we study these names every week, there's a place in the journal where you're going to be able to put notes and just some of your own thoughts as we're studying each of these names. Um, and maybe you wonder, like, where would I go to learn more about a name? of Jesus. And so one of my favorite places to go to, well, there's actually two, is the Bible dictionary. 
And sometimes you'll look up names of Jesus and you'll find it under there. But firstborn has its own um, little section in the Bible dictionary and also in the guide to the scriptures. So under study helps on your um, LDS gospel library app. Is that what it's called? It's the gospel library app. Yeah. Um, you'll look under study helps and you'll be able to find the Bible dictionary there and the guide to the scriptures is there also. And I loved just going through and reading some of the things it meant to be the firstborn. One of my favorite places to study, if you're looking for an added study down here, we've left you room in the journal to be like, where could I go to learn more about the word firstborn was numbers three. I think that was my favorite place where I studied. What does it mean to be the firstborn? But um, here are things that we know um, that would be familiar to us. It's to be the firstborn is required for sacrifice. So that was true about the lambs without blemish. They had to be a firstborn male. We know that. Um, we know the firstborn is sanctified. Um, one of the things that we love about the word firstborn is it means you were wholly given to God or that you belonged to God. But that was just true in those days. They would know that that firstborn was wholly given to God. And then you love what we learn about the birthright. Yeah. So in Old Testament times, customs, laws, um, the oldest son was considered this birthright child. And what that meant was that they were given a double portion of the father's inheritance. So if there's four kids, the inheritance gets divided five ways and the oldest gets a double portion of that. But there was a reason for that. And the reason was, is because that child was supposed to use that double portion to do two different things. One, to lead the family once the father was gone and to take care of a widowed mother and or any other of the daughters or children who were not married yet. And so it's interesting to think about when you say firstborn, it also implies this idea of birthright son. And so it's neat for Jesus to take that name as birthright son or firstborn because it implies when the father is not here, then it was his responsibility and he was endowed with certain gifts and, and, and blessings in order to take care of and lead the rest of the family. I love as we go through this process and what I did this week as I was studying is I loved pondering what that name firstborn meant. But after the pondering process, we are inviting you to consider how that um, characteristic of Christ has shown up in your own story. And for me, I love just sitting and thinking, how has he provided watch care? over my family? Like where has he stepped in and protected or, or been that older brother in our story this year? And, and just to kind of think about like where he has actually shown up in that birthright position and cared for us and like taking care of us. I just, I loved the thought that name firstborn has never like been when you're like, which name would you pick? I've never thought Oh, I'll pick firstborn. But this week I'm like really attached to that name, that oh, idea. And that's funny because to me, I'm the oldest boy in my family. Yeah. And so it's always been like, and I think traditionally, I guess, you know, um, it's, I've kind of always grown up with that mental like idea that the oldest brother is supposed to take care of. Yeah. It reminds you know? me of when Garrett goes out of town for games and I got the biggest kick out of this. I was at their house one time and Kingston was like four. And <laughs> there was Natalie and Araya. And he had said to Natalie, I need to talk to Kingston. And she was like, why? And he's like, just 
a dad thing. I just need to talk to him. And he was in his bed. And she was like, don't get him out of his bed. I just put him down. And he's like, I need to talk to Kingston. And so then she was like looking at me and she's like, what is he doing? And he carried him to the kitchen counter and he sat him down and he was like, we're having boy talk. I'm going out of town. <laughs> it's your job as the oldest boy to take care of mom and Araya. And I got a little giggle when it was happening because I'm like, um, he's four, you know? Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. do you think he's going to do? But I watched Kingston like nod his head of like, okay, you know? Uh, and then Garrett carried him back and put him in his bed. And I was like, I love that thought of like what you're saying, that, that innate thought of like protection yeah. and watch care. Right. And, and, I, and it, I feel like I want it to be something I pass on to my old onto my boys too. And I remember when Jane was born, like two years after Christian, thinking, oh, I'm so happy that she will have him in middle school and high yes. school. Like it would just was immediate, like, oh, because that's what older brothers do. And I have younger sisters, you know, and like, I think about that all the time. And so it's so, it's like tender to my heart to think of this title yeah. of Jesus where he's and just And for like, those of us who like, I'm the oldest in my family and I always wanted an older brother. Always. I can yeah. remember growing up and the first time that I heard Jesus was my older brother and it registered, I was like, oh, thank you. Because I always wanted one of those. Right. Yeah. So it's so cool. Yeah. It's so awesome. This name is really, really unique and special. Okay. This is where we're going to really talk about Joseph in this segment too. And I was thinking about this on my drive over that <laughs> even where we haven't taken down Christmas yet, but I really... By the time you watch this video, I think we, <laughs> but um, just like looking at the nativities and thinking about them that I was thinking to myself that like, do you know what's interesting is like sometimes in a nativity set, you don't even know if Joseph's Joseph or the shepherd or something, you know, like he yeah. kind of gets like lost lost, and he gets um, like in the mix of everything and he's not really there. And, and I think that's like, uh, I think that's like a big detriment, you know, that like we that that father figure would be missing from the story. You know, that someone would set it up and you're just like, and certainly you want Mary in there. Like, there's no doubt about that. But then there's also like this idea of like, you, we shouldn't be okay if we don't have Joseph in that story mm -hmm. also. And I actually love that the Come Follow Me manual gives as a suggestion for teaching ideas and study, this idea of the role of Joseph as, as a protector. And and we're going to kind of teach almost like two side-by-side -side lessons here with him that I think are, are really neat. But both of them will show kind of the role of a father yes. is what they will both show. Yeah, it's so know, good because this. you see him show up in the story. And we talked about in Luke 2 at the beginning where we were like, someone had to clean the stable and get the hay and hold back the animals. And there was a role he played, obviously, and to protect Mary in all those months before. Yeah. But there's also in Luke 2, we read this um, really interesting story of what happened after Jesus was born and the role of Joseph in that part. And one of the things when I read it that I like to think about is what Joseph knew in the last half of Luke 2 and what God knew in the last half of Luke 2 and watching those play out because God knows everything. He knows exactly what is going to happen and he knows where that family is going to end up. Joseph knows nothing. Right. He He's like just had this baby, which he didn't even probably know what to do with. And now they're in that stable. And or, well, they're actually not anymore because now they're in the place where the wise men found them. 
So they're living in that situation and all of a sudden, and, the, and here's what the wise men are telling him about Herod. And then he has this dream. And so God's like, this is what's going to happen to you. I, I already know what's going to happen, right? The baby will be born in Bethlehem. And for I know those of you come. listening on the podcast, we've just got the board divided up. The left side is what Joseph knew and the right side is what, what God, God knew. knew. And so Emily's reading from that. Yep. So what God knew is the baby would be born in Bethlehem. And we know that from Micah 5.2. Remember when we just studied that in the Old Testament. Um, God also had, had foretold years before in Hosea that he would come out of Egypt for some reason. So then you're like, well, this is confusing because there's going to be this baby born in Bethlehem, but somehow he's going to get to Egypt. And at the very end, Matthew tells us at the end of Matthew chapter two, chapter two, um, he's going to tell us, um, actually the baby was going to be come out of Nazareth. And, um, so then you've got that situation going on where you're like, well, wait a minute, what we don't really get what's happening, but God knew all along, these were all going to be part of that little family's story. And we love knowing this, but watching this, watching what Joseph knew and watching him like enter in of like, now what do we do? Okay. Now what do we do? And again, this is where you need that scripture study skill of like using your imagination and filling in the blanks because there's something about the baby's born and then it's a year or two later before the wise men show up. And like, what do you do if you're Joseph and Mary in this situation, you know? And then when you're supposed to go into Egypt, it's like, oh, don't worry. I know they're going to make it back. But it's like, wait, (laughs) you know, they're about to be a refugee family in a foreign country where they don't know the language or anything that goes on in that place when they go. And so... Like you have to use your imagination and, and that's just, this is how you can see yourself in a story is when you bring the emotion of what's going on in it. And so it's neat to consider, we know, well, we know now because we're kind of like God in the story. Yes. Like, I see how you know it's going to like weave yeah. through, you know, but that they didn't and to see how he responds, responds. you know, to yeah. that. So we're turning to Matthew 2 now for a minute, then we'll go back to Luke 2 at the very end. Of well, and, and I actually want to go back to Matthew 1 for a second, just because before this Bethlehem part yeah. that actually happens, it's interesting that like, remember, all Joseph knows is Mary is, is pregnant and not by him. And he's just like, oh no, now, you know, what are we supposed to do? We talked about this, but it's interesting that remember he's thinking on these things in verse 20 and an angel comes to him in a dream and he says, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. I love those are his first words because it it brings a reality of Joseph's emotions that he was so scared, you know, about what to do. And he just says, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And the angel's going to say the same thing to Mary, but I think it's really cool. Two things here. One, that he's just like, fear not, this is of God. Like what is happening Mm -hmm. right now is of God. And then this kind of commission, take Mary as your wife and I'm you're going to be involved in that boy's life. Like I want you to name him. You know, he's yeah. going to be yours. And there's something uh, about that that's really neat to me that like married biologically didn't need Joseph. And you might look at that story and say, like, oh, she didn't need him. She could have just done it all yeah. by herself. But God calls Joseph into the story and says, no. 
And that don't boy you will think it's you. interesting that he's like, um, I'm going to tell you the things you need to know. You need to know you don't need to be afraid. You need to know that you are going to take Mary and you need to know that you're going to name him Jesus. Okay. So in his mind, he's like, okay. And I'm this is a God. Just yeah, so you know, through God. the whole thing, this I'm is a get, God. I'm going to take Mary. I'm, we're going to have this baby. I'm going to name him Jesus. So the baby's going to get born, all that. What God doesn't say is, what if there's no room in the inn? Right. What if there's, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't fill in all the blanks. He doesn't, like there are still things Joseph has to work out. But he's like, let me give you the important pieces. What to do, what to do. Yeah. Because like, like you just saying that makes me think like him like, hi, um, <laughs> do you have any room? And they're like, nope. And then he just says, Okay, don't be afraid. This is of God. Take don't be Mary. afraid. This is right. <laughs> Take Mary. Next house. Name you know? And the same thing is going to happen over and over again because what happens next is he finally gets through that. He's like, check. Okay, I did that. This is all matching up. Okay, the wise men come. They're like, wow, I'm sure that's what they thought. And then all of a sudden, he has another dream. Mm-hmm. He probably at night is going to get to the point where he's like, don't come. I just want to sleep through the night. He has this dream and it's like, arise and take the child and flee into Egypt. This isn't like, get everything in order and like tie up all the loose ends. And then I would like it if you went to Egypt. It was like tonight. Yeah. Leave your rent money on the counter and go. Flee to Egypt. And then this is the only other instruction. Be thou there until I bring you word. And don't you love that now he's going to go into this situation? The first one was like, okay, fear not, take Mary, call him Jesus. The next one is like, flee, go to Egypt, stay there until I come Right, again. right. And he's like, okay. And, and we don't know. Was there room in the inn when he got there? Right. Was it, how did they know where to live? How did, you know what I mean? Like all the things Joseph had to figure out, but what he could keep saying in his mind was flee, go to Egypt, stay here until a different word comes and yeah and that's what he lives and all along god is like i knew you were going to go to egypt this was the plan all along for you it was right. written in scripture i will bring you out of egypt when it's time but if you're joseph can you in your mind are you like wait a minute this is jesus this is god's son why am i fleeing into egypt this does not make any sense right i also love in this one too there are these words again like take care of Mary and the young child, you know, yes. that he, st- he keeps being given this commission. And, and it's neat that just like, you know, Mary will have her dreams and Joseph will have his dreams and they're both needed, yes. Yes. you know? And sometimes yeah. in the first part of the story, Joseph had to be the trusting one. In the second part of the story, Mary yes. needs to be the trusting one. Yeah, because she's like, what do you mean we're he, going he, to Egypt? Like, he wakes her up and he's like, <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> she's like, why? You know, and then it's just awesome that they both yeah. are like, okay. Then, you know, let's go. And you know what? I don't know if this is true or not, but I always think this with the wise men. It's just when they bring the gold and frankincense and myrrh, I always think to myself, oh, was that, did God give them those gifts so they have something to live off of when they went into Egypt? Was that provision? Was that good timing? Yeah, for this Um, whole thing. And if you wonder where the out of Egypt um, scripture comes from, that's Hosea 11.1 is where that one comes from. And then um, he comes back to him in Matthew 2, 19, in Egypt, in a dream again, and says, arise and take the young child and his mother. That is so interesting that he keeps saying that. Take Mary, 
take Mary and the young child. He says it again here. Take the young child and Mary. And I just want to sneak in here again, this idea. I love those words that God says to a, a boy, a man, a father, yeah. where he says to him, arise. Yes. Like I have, a, you have a very important role to play in this family. Rise up to it. Yes. Like the, fam, the mother needs you, the boy needs you. And it will be different in each of these circumstances, how and why they need you. But there's a message there that speaks to me that just says, David, yes. rise up. You're needed in this family. Yes. I love that. And so he arose and he took the young child and his mother in verse 21 and he came to the land of Israel. But then something happens when he gets there. Like he's doing what he's supposed to take the mother, take the child, go to Israel. Like he's, I'm sure he's just repeating that over and over. And then he gets there and he finds out that who is ruling is Herod's son. And it scares him. And he, it tells us he stops. He, he was afraid to go any further. He was like, I, I don't, I don't know if I can trust this. Yeah. Um, and so then it tells us, notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside. And I love those two words that he was like, okay, I had a plan. This is where I was going. This was what I was doing. And then he gets there and he gets more information and he feels that fear. And then I love that there is that moment where he turns aside, where he's like, okay, you just see God like course correct. You know, he's like, go, this is what I need you to do. And he went into parts of Galilee and he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, which this part is going to be really interesting because Matthew's going to tell us at the very last line, um, this was going to be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Um, Bible scholars are confused about this a little bit for the fact that there's actually not something in the Old Testament that says anything about Nazareth. And um, as I was reading and researching this, it was really interesting because they started talking about the phrase to be called a Nazarene is to actually be called despised. Nazareth was the place you did not want to live. You, you didn't want to go there. You didn't want to be from there. And Will and John next yeah. week talk about um, what Nathaniel says. Can, Nothing good. Yeah, can come out of Nazareth. Right. And I love that maybe, this is me, like just thinking about the story. Joseph was like, okay, I, I feel to go toward Galilee instead. And when I get to Galilee, I'm going to pick the worst place. I'm going to pick the place no one would come looking. I'm going to go to the place where everyone is despised. That's going to be the safest place for us. And what's so beautiful is there will be scriptures. Here's two that are um, maybe familiar in Psalm 22, 6 and 7, or Isaiah 53, um, 3 is the one that we're really familiar with, where it talks about he will be despised and he, he will come from a place of nothingness, no respect there to his name or to who he was. And I love that that was maybe Joseph's way of protecting the family, but it was also God's intention all along. And for me, I just love um, watching as we've raised our kids and we've gone through the moments of like, fear not and take your family and do this. And, and where we're given the high, um, like the big picture, but not the small details to know that God knew all along. He knew about Bethlehem. He knew about Egypt and he knew about Nazareth. That was already in the plan that he was guiding the whole time. And Joseph had to work out the inn and the stable. And he had to work out, 
you know, whatever Getting happened a job in, in Egypt. Yeah, in Egypt. And, yeah. and he had to work going to Galilee and, and thinking through in his mind, I think the best place for us might be Nazareth. That like there was this moment, and I think it is a beautiful thought to think of Joseph and God working so closely together to protect that family. And I want to think that Greg has that same relationship with God, that he is working so closely with God to protect our little family. And even though I don't have all the details of what's going to happen or what the particulars will be, but, but I trust Greg to ask God and that's what my family unit looks like. But I, I believe that God offers this protection to every family. And if you're a single mother, then this is also your right to be able to go through and say, give me that, the big picture details, help me see. And, um, I was reading somewhere just recently about a refugee family where a brother came out with only his um, siblings. They were the only ones who came out. And to think he has that right to be led and to, yeah. you know, watch care over his family. And just to think how God will work with each of our families individually, no matter what our circumstance is, that, it, you know, the, the person who is the protector of that family has the right to call upon God who sees the big picture and say, give me what I need to be holding on to right now. You know, take yeah. Mary yeah. and the baby, go to Egypt. Okay. I can do that. And part. there's something really neat too, about Joseph being called into that family, right? Yeah. It was almost like Mary was going to have this baby, but God calls in someone into it. And I was think, actually thinking about that too, that there's, you know, there's people who've been called into my family who have played special roles, you know, um, who've brought their gifts, yeah. you know, that have compensated Jenny and I's. And it's neat to, to think about that too. And I, I love that this is also a lesson on, on trust. When mm. you put these right next to each other, like, th like when I live my life, like I don't see this half of the board. Yes. Right? Like, yes. Can we move it over? Look, this oh. is all I, this is all I see. Right? Yes. And it's, and it comes line by line. Yeah, and right? then the and lines it's are crazy. Like, it's like, fear not. And it's go by night, flee. Right. You know, it's a, notwithstanding. There's all of and those the, lines in your story. Yeah, and there's something about knowing, hey, David, this is also going on behind the scenes. And this is a story about, and it's a lesson also about trust. Like, okay, I'm going to trust that God has a, like a story written or mm. he, he has things in mind and and then now i will just take the next, next right step. the next right step which i think is really cool because we get into this last section which we're going to call building a jesus home um and we're going to talk about um what kind of home jesus was raised in and what kind of environment um mary and joseph and the lord as a team together provided for him because he came as a baby on purpose and needed to be taught and needed to be raised and needed to be empowered and yeah. all the things that we're going to, that we're going to read. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like. But, um, I think one thing that I don't remember if we have it on there or not, that I would add into it is this idea of, I think, you know, when I was reading that story of Joseph and that he has this relationship with God where he's just like, I'm scared, but I trust you. Mm. Jesus is going to say that in Gethsemane. He's going to say, I'm scared, but I trust you. And I just feel like he learned that 
from his dad and he learned that from his mother. Yeah. And these like these are the lessons that are going to be passed on, you know, to him. And I and it's this is a beautiful just one way of reading this section of scripture is to kind of just think and ponder and what can we learn from the home that Jesus was Yeah, that he grew in. up in. Yes. And and what did that look like and how might we make that make our home look a little bit more like his home? We read about this childhood of Jesus in And let's and pause let's pause for one second and just say if I, if we were teaching this like in a classroom yeah. a gospel doctrine class uh, maybe especially or um I I think this would be cool to just draw a big house on the board and then just give the verses divide them up or have go through them or whatever and just what are the principles that people find and just kind of fill the yeah. home and then it's cool when you like look at that or write it out you it made me want to just draw my own empty house and just say like, okay what what, what, kind of, what am i going to add yeah. like what am i intentionally doing and what could i learn from this that you know that i could add into my own yeah we home? we often think we don't know a lot about the childhood of jesus and actually in these from in luke 2 from 39 to 52 we actually get a lot of information that we maybe sometimes overlook and we'll just fly through some of these, but we're going to pause in a couple places and maybe talk about what that might look like. One of the overarching themes of these verses are words that have to do with like growth and increase. And I love that what was happening in Mary and Joseph's home was a place where there was a process of progression that took place. And, and you feel that as you're reading these because it's constantly trying to tell you and show you how he was growing, that this, somehow they were providing this space where like growth was celebrated and it was part of the process of the home. Yeah, and there's, there's something about that that's really neat that's like a mindset for me as a parent at least and a mindset for me with myself. Mm-hmm. Like I need to take it with myself and my kids. Let me explain so that, that makes sense. But like if I know that my home is a place of growth and progression, then I'm okay with where everyone is right now. Like I'm not panicked that you're not here yet because the intention of this home, the intention of this life is to be a place of progression and growth. So no one's there yet. And so that's, that's, that's a great place to not be disappointed with yourself or with your kids. You just know I'm not, I'm not there yet. Like Christian did something like real, oh, I shouldn't have said his name, but whatever. No (laughs) one tell him if you know him. I mean, one of my kids. Did something like really dumb yesterday. And I was just like, not morally or anything, but just like, you why know, did you why that? did you do that? Like because unsafe. He's 16, yeah. Everyone. And that, yeah. And it was like, it's <laughs> such a good mindset for me to be in. It's like, oh, okay, we're going to have a time to talk about this and learn from this because this home is a home of growth and progression. So I'm actually not disappointed that you're not there yet because I know that's actually the, the point. Right. The well, whole, and what right? happened yesterday helps me as a parent to realize. I actually have something to teach you at this right. point in your progression. So yeah. we just got to like push pause and be like, next time, right. this right. would be a smarter way exactly. to go about doing exactly. it. Um, and I love that thought. And it, and it tells us this in verse 40. He grew. And then there's this phrase. It says, waxed strong in spirit. And I love that that word waxed actually means to empower or strengthen someone. Mm. I love that Mary and Joseph were like empowering him in how to use the spirit. That's part of how they were parenting, which makes me want to be like, okay, am I actually, is it my nature to be like, the spirit told me you shouldn't do this? 
Or am I teaching them, am I empowering them of like, how would you invite the spirit into this decision yeah. that you're making or into this, you know, whatever's going on. I love that they empowered him to be able to use the spirit. Like he knew how to harness it by himself. Um, and I've never thought about this before, but I actually really like that the English translation of that is waxed strong because have you ever made a candle before? Um, where like you take the wick and you dip it into the, and then you wait a second and let it, and then you dip again and then you wait a second and then you dip again. And there's that process of making a candle of waxing strong requires several dips and it also requires pausing, you know, in between them. So there's something really cool about that imagery. That's so awesome. And then we learned that, um, he also was filled with wisdom. That was like part of their home is like imparting wisdom and celebrating wisdom and like I love that thought of like celebrating and learning. And filling, filling with yeah. wisdom, right? Yes. Drop by drop. And the grace of God was upon him. And the grace used in this verse is the Greek word um, charis, which means, well, my favorite definition of that word talks about being touched, divinely touched on your heart mm. and then reflecting that in your life. And I love the thought about that's that's the grace was just God settling in a little bit into his heart and then the family encouraging you to reflect that and how you like live out your story. And again, it is that practice, which I love. So we love those three things. Um, it was a place of growth. He, growth. he was empowered um, to learn how the spirit worked and harness it. And, and he was learning grace and also wisdom there. You love the next part. Yeah. Verse 41, he says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And I love adding that 39 in there also because it says, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, that's when he was a a baby, you know. And you just see this idea of holy traditions in their family, where it's just like, listen, every year we actually go to Passover because this is what the Lord has asked us to do. And we retell the story of deliverance from our ancestors in the land of Egypt. And and this was a part of what they did growing up. They were obedient to the law of the Lord, but they had holy traditions that were tied to story and they were tied to like identity. And it's just... That's what they did in their family. And I'll never forget talking to a counselor once when my kids were young and um, saying to him, I, how do you handle like things of making choices and doing things? And there was one moment when I was like, what about if your kids don't go to church? And he was like, and I'm not suggesting this for everyone, but this is something that just happened in, in my mind. He was like, oh, church isn't on the table. In our family, that's just something our family does. On Sundays, we do church from this time to this time. If anyone's at our house during that time, they just know it's not on the table. And I was like, I was so interested in his family. That was like, that's just what we do. Yeah. We just, we do this. Right. We go to the Feast of the Tabernacles. That's just what we do. And and kind of it being just, this is part of our family culture, right. you know, and, right. and how things go. And my kids were little at the time, so I wasn't at the teenage years where there are so many complexities to that idea. But I just remember thinking, like, I still remember the conversation vividly that in their family, that was part of like the custom of the family. I I thought that was so interesting. And obviously it was here too. Um, Then the next one that I love is when he gets lost. Remember everyone when he gets lost 
and they go back to find him and then they find him in the temple. And when I read that part, I think to myself, for some reason, the temple was a safe place to him. It was a place that he felt comfortable just going into. Yeah. And it made me think, I want, I want to talk about the temple like that to my kids, that it is a safe place and it's the place that my kids want to go into. When I go visit in Oregon, Caleb and Maria, there is this cupcake shop that is like has the best cupcakes in the whole entire United States of America. I'm positive. <laughs> I don't even know the name of it, but it's right down the street from the temple. And when we, it takes us a long time to drive there from their house. And when we go, um, Luca always says, and then we'll go to Jesus's house. And we do, we go get our cupcakes and then we drive to the temple parking lot and we just sit there and eat our cupcakes or mm. he gets a donut all the time mm. um, at Jesus's house. And, and he'll say to his mom, is he in there right now? <laughs> is he in there? <laughs> so, cute. so cute just to think like, is a temple, do we talk about it? And are our associations such that our kids are like, oh, I feel safe there. I mm. want to go in that place, you yeah, know? Right. Um, I love that. And then while he's in there, there is the neatest verse right in here that I didn't notice until this morning, but it says he, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And I love that like they had taught Jesus that on one hand, it was important to hear what, um, what people were teaching, what they were explaining, but they had also taught him that it was okay to ask questions. Mm -hmm. That I love that thought, like, is my home a place where people can come in and ask questions? And for um, our anniversary, we, Greg and I's anniversary was just barely 33 years. And for my gift, Greg had all of my kids write down something they loved about me mm. in our family text all day long, all throughout the day, 33 things. They they had to get to 33 and Greg was keeping count and it was so cute. I, you were here when it yeah, started because I was yeah. like, for some reason, Why all my kids are saying, saying nice such things? nice things about me. And um, like they know, because they normally say mean things. So it was really different. They were, <laughs> well, it just was like so many nice things at once. And um, one of my girls had written in um, that one thing she loved about me is that I didn't panic when she was having a faith crisis but I allowed her to ask questions mm. and I always responded with compassion, which I never set out to do that. So it wasn't like I was like, this will be my response to this, but it was so sweet to me that like in her mind, she was like, I've, I feel like this is a safe place where I can come and ask questions and people will respond with compassion. And maybe that's why it jumped out to me because I was like, I love that his mom and dad were like, it's okay to ask questions, mm, that's, you know? Yeah. That's so sweet. Um, they come and find him, you remember. And I love this scene, this interaction mm. that happens between them because they come in and a couple things happen. In 47, they hear him and they were astonished at his understanding and the answers that he were giving. So they kind of sat back for a second and they were like, oh my gosh, hold on. What's happening? Wow, you know, <laughs> which is really, really cool because, well, let me add on to it. And they, say, and they saw and they were amazed and his mom said, son, why have you thus dealt with us? Your father and I have been looking for you, sorrowing. You know, why, why'd you do that to us? You know, and then he gives that famous answer. It's so sweet in 49. He said, how is it you sought me? What, didn't you want that I would be about my father's business? And on one end, there's this really cool line that like they obviously had already, like he asked it in a way, he's just like, didn't you teach me that I should do my God-given duty? Like, 
that's what you taught me to do. Yeah. Why wouldn't you think I would be doing that? Which is really sweet because you see that that's the kind of home that it was. But I, well, oh. and you love that. And at the age of twelve, like in their mind, they might have been like, "Well, when he grows up, this yeah." Is, but you love that at the age of twelve, they had already instilled in him, "You are meant to be about your father's yeah. business." Yeah, which is so cool. Yeah. But the, another lesson that's in there for me when I read that is this idea of um, they're learning from. I mean, he's learning from them, but they are also learning from him. And there's something really sweet about them recognizing like, oh, this home is a place of growth and progression for me, like as parents also, as much as it is, yes. you know, for him. And and they lost him. And is that a mistake or not? I don't know, but let's chalk it up mm-hmm. as a par- parental mistake, okay? Just for the sake of discussion, <laughs> right? That it's just like, oh, and they're they're learning and, they, and she scolds him and he kind of, and he kind of teaches her like, wait, why are you scolding me? And... You know, like there's yeah. learning that's happening between both of them, which I think is really powerful. Yeah, I love that thought. And to have a home where you can like have those kinds of conversations where you're like, well, maybe we didn't do it exactly right. And like, tell tell us what you're, what's happening with you. And just that thought of that like free conversation within a home. Yeah. And I feel like even as you were saying, talking about, you know, that you responded with compassion, I think there's probably because you have such a really strong sense of that first one where you're just like... I am a person of growth and this home is a place of growth. Like I'm starting with that foundation, which actually allows you to be really liberal in the rest of these things, right? Where you're just like, I'm okay to approach a a conversation with my oldest son and say, this is my first time as a dad. (laughs) So, you know, but I also am year decades ahead of you in life. So I'm a person of growth and so are you. So let's like... Figure this Let's out. Let's figure this out, yeah. you know, as, as we go in into this conversation. Yeah. Um, these next four we pull from 52, which is probably the most famous verse, yes. you know, in this story. But it's that idea, again, that Jesus increased in wisdom and he increased over time in stature and he increased in favor with God and he increased in favor with man. But th- there was this idea of this um, well-roundedness, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this home. And there's progression in yeah, all of balance. these different areas. Yeah, and we, and, and we should have balance in, in all of it, you yeah, know? Yeah, I love that thought of just like adding all those things in. And then we're just going to end with this verse that is a, a comeback to where we started. Remember in Luke 2, 19, on that very first night when Jesus is born and Mary sits back and it says, and she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And it's so interesting because here again, when he's 12 years old, after they get back from the temple and all of these things are going on, and it says in verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them, but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And I love um, thinking about, we talked about Joseph and we talked about his role and what he did in the family, but I think we learned something really important about Mary. And it was this, that her response was to sit back and to ponder and to keep things for a minute. That was her response, which I think is a really important lesson because sometimes as a mother, our first thought is to react and to to see the situation and maybe we feel fear or maybe we feel anger or maybe we are confused or or we don't know. And, And we so often like our first response is, to react to the situation. Or, or to like 
a lot of times, like, um, parents will get a lot of their value from, like, the behavior of their kids. Yes. You know, and they, let me fix it so yes. I don't look dumb. Yes. You know, yeah, or, or whatever. Yeah, or we want to control or, what's happening. And right. There is just something that is so unique about Mary keeping all of these mm. things and pondering them in her heart. And I can remember um, when my kids were little, I have two boys really close in age. Well, we have three boys, actually, nine months, nine months, nine months now. But when um, the boys were little... We just had the two that were nine months or that were eighteen months apart. They were so close in age, and they could not have been more different than. I mean, they are seriously so different from each other in how they respond and and how they think about things and how they go about things. They they just have different um, ways that they do things. And what happened for me is when I started with the first one, I was like, oh, okay, I know how to parent a child because I am parenting this child and this is what is working and so I know how to parent. And then we got the next child and all of that that was working for this one was not working at all for this one, at all. Like none of it was working. And so then my inclination was, I don't know how to parent. Mm. And it took a little while before I realized, oh, wait a minute, no, I just don't know how to parent this child. and. I learned at a really young age as a mother how important it is to sit back and ponder and to let the spirit be like, okay, this is, this is a better way to interact in this mm. situation. This is a better way to correct this child. This is a better way of expressing love that is a different way than mm -hmm. what is working here. Mm -hmm. And to realize that as a mother, if we choose to be a, a Mary have a merry heart, that kind of a mother of like, I will, I will sit back and I will keep what is going on and I will ponder it until I feel the spirit say to me, okay, engage like this mm. now and engage like this now. There's just something to be learned, I think, in that kind of mothering. I, I just, and I think it's important that it's repeated twice. Yeah. And, and when I read this, it's interesting because that idea of keep, because when we were talking earlier, you said something that just made me think about, you know, like my oldest two boys just got their patriarchal blessings. Mm. And, and I want to keep those sayings in my heart as I parent them. Yes. You know, and kind of like Joseph was told at the very beginning, this child is of God and uh, call him Jesus, which is a name that means savior, right? Mm. And it's a call to who he will be. Yes. And and I love that whole idea of like, keep that in your yeah, heart in your while heart you raise them, like the promises about them. Yes. And their I think potential, that is so, keep it in your heart. Yeah, it's so important because I do think this too, and I forgot we had talked about that earlier, and I believe in this so firmly. Mary knew who Jesus was. Yeah, yeah. Before he even came. She knew like his destiny. She knew his divinity. She like held that little baby who could do nothing for himself and was like, I know your potential. And even when he got lost, she still knew the potential of what he would be. And so part of it for me is thinking too, how she would sit back and just think, I know who you are and I know your capacity. And so now how do I help you grow into that. And um, as a mother, when each of my children were born, I felt that divinity when I held them. And even now I will look at them and think, for some reason, I feel like as mothers, we are allowed to see a child and see a greater potential 
in that child. And sometimes that can be frustrating for both mother and child <laughs> because you are like, I, for some reason, I have been given a glimpse of your potential and, and who you could be. And I think that's a gift really of like allowing us to help um, co-create who that child will be with the divine. Right. I think that is true. Um, but I love that Mary's response was to sit back in that and ponder it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really neat when you look at some of these things to like start with like, okay, this is the kind of like home I would like to create. Now, what are my patterns and strategies for being able to yes. do that? Like if I want to have that kind of heart to keep sayings, then I better set aside half hour every Sunday night to actually do that. Yes. Right? So yes, that like I can so good. practice that. And if I want, what are my holy traditions? If I want to like, then, then okay, then let me think through like, yeah. you know, what they will actually be. And what does it look like when people ask questions in yeah, our home? Right. And do, do we need to be better at like what that looks like? It's cool that this comes at the beginning of a year to be able to say like, this is my hope for what this home is going to be. But then also to realize like I'm growing, I'm progressing yeah. in this. Like, my kid's 18 and I've never done that. You know, and it's like, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, you know, how about you just, you know, yeah. start right now. But I think one thing that's really sweet about this whole thing as we look at it is we know who Jesus becomes. Mm. And we start at the beginning and we see that he was influenced. His greatest influences in his life were his mother, his father, and God. And how... The, at the heart of all of this, that is, yes, that's, that's, so that's the golden truth in the, yeah. at the core. So, okay, yeah. we'll see y'all next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.